0: Hey everyone, my name is Ariana Aronson.
1: And I'm South Wallace. Hey Ariana, did you know that this is my first time co-hosting On Record?
0: I am aware of that, South, especially since we hired you only a few weeks ago.
1: Oh yeah, that's right. (laughs) Uh, Well, I'm excited to be on with you and get into some of the important goings-on here at UVA.
0: The feeling is mutual. This week is an important one here for On Record, as we will dive into the impact Russia's invasion of Ukraine has on the UVA community. We will also share interviews we have had with fellow Wahoos who have strong ties with Ukraine as they share powerful, unique perspectives on how this invasion has affected them.
1: On February 24th, 2022, Russia's autocratic leader, Vladimir Putin, ordered what he labeled a, quote, special military operation, end quote, in Ukraine. This special military operation turned out to be a full-scale military invasion of its westward neighbor. Since the 24th, Ukraine has been subject to air raids, firebombing, civilian targeting, and cutoffs of important supplies to major cities. Over 2 million Ukrainians have been forced to flee west to avoid decimation.
0: Amid the crisis, the Ukrainian people have also stood against the invading army. Thousands of Ukrainians have returned home to Ukraine, joining those who have stayed back to fight to protect their country. The Ukrainian troops have so far been able to hold the Russian troops back from obtaining key cities such as the capital Kyiv. At the same time, the invading army has claimed that they have taken control of southern city Kherson, as well as Chernobyl nuclear complex, the site of one of the largest uncontrolled radioactive releases ever recorded for any civilian operation. In 1986, two accidental explosions at Chernobyl caused large amounts of radioactivity to be released into the air for 10 days, causing serious social and economic disruption for Ukraine, as well as Russia and Belarus.
1: With no clear direction agreed upon between Putin and the Ukrainian government, only time will tell how this invasion will end. The whole world has its eyes on the two countries, with NATO and the West firmly on the side of the Ukrainians, and Russia having some global allies as well.
0: Here on ground, students have been paying close attention to the Russian invasion of Ukraine. Whether you pass by the Beta Bridge message that has been present for the past month, touch on the subject in class, attend events such as the vigil, or simply overhear a conversation walking around grounds. Students and faculty alike are choosing to engage with the current state of the world rather than ignore it.
1: That's true, Ariana. On the sixth day of Russia's invasion of Ukraine, March 1st, the university hosted a teach-in for students and faculty. The event was standing room only with over 245 students in attendance. There are regional experts assembled to educate others on the, quote, context and background on the crisis, end quote, and to help our community process the reality of the invasion.
0: These experts included professors and faculty from a range of departments, such as the German Department, History Department, Department of Slavic Languages and Literatures, UVA Center for Russian, East European, and Eurasian Studies, the Politics Department, the School of Public Policy, and a director of the National Security Policy Center.
1: We had the opportunity to speak with one of these experts, Philip Potter, the director of the National Security Policy Center. He's also an associate professor at UVA specializing in foreign policy and international relations. My name is Phil Potter. I'm a professor in the Department of Politics and direct
2: the National Security Policy Center here at UVA in the Batten School of Leadership and Public Policy. In my work, I'm a specialist on war, interstate violence, terrorism, and U.S. foreign policy.
0: So you have a lot of background in the political and policy world. I know that you were a part of the UVA teach-in when it came to the discussion of the Russian invasion of Ukraine. So can you tell us a little bit about the organization of that and your decision to participate and what that consisted of content-wise?
2: Sure. So when big events happen around UVA, we we make an effort to try to pull the community together to, uh, you know, make make some sense of it. Uh, The teaching came about largely through the efforts of uh, Professor Will Hitchcock in the history department. He brought together a group of faculty from around grounds. And so you got a wide range of perspectives on both sort of the longer term issues around sort of why this situation in Ukraine might be emerging now, what current Russian politics might look like in terms of how that would dictate escalation uh, and where we go from here. And then those of us on the uh, political science side of things, uh, Todd Sexer was talking about nuclear issues with regard to the conflict. I spent a certain amount
1: of time talking about escalation scenarios and, and the implications for US foreign policy. For those who didn't attend the teach-in, what details do you feel were like the most important? And uh, was there any sort of response from the students to the teach-in? Were there any interesting questions that were brought up?
2: Yeah, I, I, the students were were super engaged and, and were, uh, you know, frankly, had a lot of questions about how bad this could get. When we did the teach-in, it was fairly early in the conflict. And so uh, there were still a lot of questions about you know, how, how big this was gonna go, uh, how quickly it would go in terms of Russia's ability to take over Ukraine. Um, and there were a lot of questions about whether this was likely to be something that could draw NATO in. Uh, one thing I would say is that since that time, you know, the, the, the facts on the ground have changed considerably. We're now looking at a situation where It appears that the more grandiose Russian ambitions are not possible, right? It does not look like they're going to be able to quickly take over the entire country, install a new regime. Uh, Those things seem to be off the table. There is an increasing sense that perhaps Russia uh, could be placated with with some sort of territorial concession in in the Donbas, uh, perhaps, uh, you know, something along the lines of uh, declared neutrality. A lot of those things were really hard to foresee at the beginning, even for specialists in this area. You know, we've been consistently surprised by uh, Russia's poor performance, by Ukrainian forces' capabilities. So it, it, there's been a very rapid evolution since the time we had that conversation.
0: Aside from the teacher, uh, you also participated in a UVA panel, correct? Talking yep. about um, the policy and humanitarian aspects of it. So can you touch a little bit on that?
2: Uh, There's a group of us uh, on the faculty side who meet uh, two to three times a week in the mornings uh, to kind of discuss current going on uh, through the Miller Center, uh, what's going on in the Ukrainian conflict. And this that particular panel came out of a partnership between the Miller Center and the Center that I run, the National Security Policy Center, to just take another check-in and look at the escalatory potential for the conflict. So we were talking about things like you know, what What does it mean uh, from an escalation standpoint if the U.S. Cont- and NATO continue to put uh, weapons into Ukraine? Is that escalatory? Is that something that's likely to lead to an expansion of the conflict? We talked a little bit about some of the rhetoric around uh, the uh, removal of Putin as leader and whether that was something that, know putin was going to take particularly seriously was that escalatory uh and you know alstam uh professor alstam is uh you know a former dean of the Batten school was the other participant in that panelist and that was one area where i think we we both agreed that putin is not particularly concerned about ending up at a war crimes trial um and you know is well aware that the us would prefer he was not the leader of russia and is not in a position to really do anything about it and so that rhetoric was mostly about domestic politics on both sides. And so you know, probably not escalatory, still quite important potentially. Uh, but those were the sorts of things we were talking about in that panel.
0: Well, thank you for speaking with us today and sharing all of the information. We appreciate it. As we discussed with Dr. Potter, there was a panel of UVA experts that discussed the global ripple effects of Russia's attack on Ukraine on Friday, March 4th. There was a focus on policy, diplomacy and humanitarian implications. Alongside Dr. Potter was George Forsman, Executive Director and Senior Advisor of the National Security Policy Center, and Kirsten Gelsdorf, the Director of Global Humanitarian Policy.
1: We had the chance to speak with another of these panelist members, Ambassador Stephen Moll, UVA's Vice Provost for Global Affairs. Moll served as the U.S. Ambassador to the Republic of Poland from 2012 until 2015 and U.S. Ambassador to the Republic of Lithuania from 2003 to 2006.
0: Here at UVA, his role as Vice Provost for Global Affairs is to be the primary lead on global relations at the university, where he develops strategic vision, designs outreach, and oversees international activities.
1: Ambassador Moll has been an active voice in our community in other ways, including starting a blog called Crisis in Ukraine. He also shares with us his deep desire to support and educate UVA students.
3: I'm the Vice Provost for Global Affairs here at the university. I've been here for just over three years. I came here after a 36-year career in the U.S. Foreign Service. I spent a lot of my time working in Central and Eastern Europe and on democracy issues and all sorts of other diplomatic special projects like negotiating on nuclear issues with Iran.
0: For those that might not know exactly what your role is as Vice Provost for Global Affairs, can you elaborate on what? Sure.
3: So so the the Provost uh, uh, is the Chief Academic Officer of the University, and I assist him in the international global engagement piece of that. So my office oversees, we have a couple of hundred agreements with institutions around the world for exchanges and research partnerships. I oversee the office that does study abroad programs that I'm also responsible for the office that oversees our international students. Uh, they've had a real tough time during the pandemic. Uh, um, we also have a global research enterprise. We have uh, the Center for Global Health Equity, and I work with the college in overseeing the Global Studies program, which is the most, just about the most popular undergraduate major. We have about 400 uh, students who major in Global Studies.
0: You guys touch on everything. It seems mm-hmm. like you mentioned the importance of your role with making sure that international students feel welcome in the past month or so with the with the recent events, what has your guys, I guess, office or what events have you guys put on in order to make sure that Ukrainian students feel comfortable and supported in the circumstances in
3: the Right. So so when when the Russian invasion of Ukraine happened on February 24th, that same week, uh, we were, uh, I immediately wanted to find out how many Ukrainian students we have. Because could you imagine right. if uh, your home country was invaded while you're far away from your family? You wouldn't be able to sleep, uh, worried about what's going on back at home. So we have seven Ukrainian students that we were able to find out. And so the acting dean of students and I communicated to them, that, you know, we, you know, you must be in so much stress and, and, and crisis now back home, please let us know what you need, uh, whether it has to do with you know, financial arrangements, communicating with your family, if you need some accommodation, uh, if you can't concentrate on, on your schoolwork right now, if you need uh, somebody to talk to, if you need counseling, let us know. We're here for you and we will help you deal with whatever problems that uh, you're, uh, you're having. And then, you know, we sent that out. I thought, you know, it's probably not just Ukrainian students who are worried. What if you were from Russia? And you're seeing what your country is being accused of doing. Um, maybe some of our Russian students, we have about 40, 40, 41 of them. Uh, and, and so we sent a, a message to them also saying, um, look, if you're being harassed because of your nationality, there's no place for that here either. And, and that's a very similar message to our Russian students to... Let them know that if they need help in dealing with any of the, the blowback from this crisis that, that we're there here to help them as well and then we established you know it's important to talk about these things to communicate about them we established a blog uh, that we invited students to share their reflections and uh, and, and we found a few things probably as we get Ukraine related news uh, we, we, we post uh, things I was just talking to. A student the other day whose stepfather is actually Ukrainian, whose business back in um, uh, Ukraine has just been attacked by by the Russian forces. And so I've uh, suggested that, that she share her stepfather's experience with that, just so people can be aware of what's going on.
0: Absolutely. And what's the name of the blog called?
3: It's um the it's called crisis in Ukraine, okay. and uh, it's on the global website, uh, the Global Affairs website. So if you just type in uh, UVA Global Affairs crisis in Ukraine, it'll pop right up. And
0: that's a way for other students to like kind of engage and also understand mm-hmm. exactly what's going on. You,
3: you know, sitting here in Charlottesville, it's such a pleasant place to be, um, and it, it's so important to not lose sight of. Even terrible things that are happening in the world, like this, uh, like this invasion, and they, they affect people in ways that you don't expect. You know, the first few nights of the invasion, I was actually having trouble sleeping, uh, just watching these horrible things happening on the uh, on the news. So, it, it's important to pay attention to them, even though it's unpleasant. But it can be very stressful. So, if for any reason, not just because of war in Ukraine, but but for any reason, one of the things I like best about working in a university is it's a really caring, nurturing environment.
0: Absolutely. Thank you so much for your time today. We appreciate it. While Faculty Around Grounds are providing context and information on the current events in Ukraine for the UVA community, there are community members who have no choice but to consider the fate of Ukraine on a daily basis. For them, Ukraine is their home.
1: Lisa Kapelnik is a first year in the College of Arts and Sciences. Her parents, along with many generations prior, were born and raised in Kiev, Ukraine. They still have family and friends in the country, so this is a war that heavily impacts their daily lives.
0: We recently spoke with Lisa about how the time since February 24th has been for her and her family.
4: Hey everyone, my name is Lisa. I'm my first year at UVA. I'm studying politics and economics.
1: So what is your connection to Ukraine?
4: Yeah, so my parents were born and raised in Kiev, and um, I have several generations of my family that were raised in different parts of Ukraine. And they immigrated to Israel and to the United States once the Soviet Union started falling apart. And now we have distant relatives and family friends that live there.
1: Nice. And how much did Ukraine play a role in your childhood? Would you ever visit? Uh, Would you guys talk about what's going on in Ukraine on the dinner table?
4: Yeah, I mean, we grew up eating Ukrainian food. Uh, My grandparents were always cooking Ukrainian food. We were, you know, I grew up hearing my parents' stories about the schools that they went to, the parks, you know, they played in, so many small things that were just centered around Kiev, centered around Ukraine. And so it was always a big part of my identity, um, being a Ukrainian Jewish person. And, yeah, and, I mean, definitely you've seen Russia sort of increase their influence on Ukraine over the last 10 years, ever since, you know, Crimea in 2014. So it's definitely something that we've been talking about a lot more in, in political context, too. And now, you know, I call my parents basically every day, and we talk about it.
1: So, yeah, more on that. How's this? How has this month or so been? What are your parents been saying about it?
4: Honestly, it's been, like, incredibly devastating. My parents are just... I, the best way to describe them was, like, paralyzed. Like, the first week, they were not able to really talk or think about anything else and like they were consuming so much media the rest of my family was also consuming so much media looking at pictures always on the phone with like relatives or friends trying to direct aid or do everything that they can and i think they feel really helpless and like i think we all feel helpless because it seems like there's so little that we can do here
1: do you think there's anything that's uh, like that you or your families felt is so important that maybe the media isn't really being like talking about enough when it comes to this invasion and are there any stories that you feel like really haven't been told that much?
4: Yeah I mean overall I I didn't really know what to expect from the media and from students and like the whole world but the fact that so many people are still talking about it is really like heartwarming to me but I think there's a lot of talk about like military strategy and sanctioning and a lot of the political aspects, which are super important, but I think that sometimes it just gets lost that these are, like, real people with real families and that, you know, you have, you know, one day they were there and they were going to school and they were going to work and they were, you know, going to restaurants, and then the next day, like, their entire lives were taken away. And so it's really um, heartbreaking knowing that those people, you know, if my parents didn't immigrate, that would have been us. And... um, it's really difficult without that personalization. I think it's important to, you know, highlight the stories of individual people and um, remember who they are and and what they've lost.
0: Yeah. In regards to the university community, did you attend the vigil? Did you attend the teach-in? And can you tell us a little bit about that experience and if you've been able to find support within the UV community, whether that's through students or faculty administration or whatever it may be?
4: Yeah, um, I attended both the teach-in and the vigil. I actually spoke at the vigil, so the vigil was incredibly powerful for me because um, to see people who, like, obviously have no connection to Ukraine, just come out and stand in support with Ukrainian students, and just like the whole idea of what it means to fight for a democracy, fight for a country that has the right to self-determination, has you know thousands of years of history and culture and everything, and. To see people really care about those issues, even though they're not like personally connected, was empowering. I spoke mostly about you know, what it's meant for my family. Historically, I guess at, at the time of the vigil, a lot of what Putin was saying was that we need to denazify Ukraine, which is this narrative that's just like abhorrent to me and my family who died in the Holocaust in Ukraine. And um, they were murdered at Babi Yar, which is the site of one of the largest massacres of the Holocaust. Um, where over 30,000 Jewish people were killed in, you know, one day, two days. And so this is also a site that Putin is now, you know, missiles are going there. And there are so many people who are like, you know, this is really graphic, but like dead, you know, there. And so much family history. And to say that we're denazifying while in the process, reinvading, taking other people's lives and harming that very community um, is really shocking and um, horrifying to me. So that was what most of my speech was about, just, like, connecting it to my personal family history. Um, And I've definitely found that there have been certain professors, you know, when I speak about my experience or what it's been like in the last month, they've been so supportive um, and, you know, regularly contacting me to make sure that me and my family are okay. Um, I think it's, you know, it's difficult as a university. It It would be nice if, like... I guess it would be good if for the administration to make some sort of statement about the stance on Ukraine and Russia, but the fact that they were supporting the vigil and created this teaching is, is definitely a good thing, and I just hope that we continue talking about this issue for as long as it continues. Yeah.
1: There are many students in our UVA community with ties to Ukraine. We also spoke to Varvara Esieva, who is a fourth-year student at the university, born and raised in Ukraine, whose family, as she states, refuses to leave Kiev.
5: I am fourth year here and I'm uh, majoring in psychology. They always say that I'm just 22, but I already survived two revolutions because one of them happened when I was four and another one happened when I was 13. Kiev and Ukraine itself is a very beautiful country. Kiev is a very beautiful city. You know, it's my home. And uh, my favorite part of Kiev would be would probably be the Sophia Cathedral because it's like thousands years old and just by looking at it it's fascinating
1: and when you were growing up in ukraine would, would the with the talk at the at the at the family dinner table would you guys ever talk about the political affairs going on oh
5: oh yeah my my family is very very into politics um my parents both went to the orange revolution and to the you know, uh, revolution of honor yes we did talk about it and uh, we did participate and we did go there
1: is your is some of your family still in Kyiv?
5: yes my mom is in Kyiv. she refused to live uh, leave uh, my um Grandma is in Kyiv. My other grandma is in Kyiv. My granddad is in Kiev. My uncle is in so basically all of my family, except my dad and my sisters are in Kyiv, because my dad is here with his wife. Uh, but my mom and his and her husband, um her parents, my dad's parents, my other family is there. My friends are not in Kyiv anymore. They're in uh, different parts of Ukraine and outside of Ukraine because some of them literally didn't have uh places to stay in Ukraine um but yeah um the communication was very um well you have to understand it's worse my mom spent like two weeks living with my um grandma her mother uh because it was just safer and that now she moved back to her original place we talk every day but it's not like It's weird as, you know, uh, every time because they're bombing the civilian population and you never know where the missile will like come to, like go to which building and et cetera. We are relatively safe, I think, because we are in the center and the center because the president is also in the center, it's protected better. But um, at the same time, you know, my mom can say something like, oh, we woke up alive today. And for her, to her, it probably seems normal for me. It's like, whoa, okay, I'm happy, mom, that you woke up alive, you know? Or she said something like, I hope I'm gonna see you again. And that also is very hard to hear because I just said every time it's like, oh, how are you? Like guys, are they shooting? Like my grandma was cooking ciabatta bread while they were shooting. And she was just like, you know, they're shooting like for the whole day, but I cooked this. And I was like, nice.
0: (laughs) So what has it been like being here at UVA, knowing that that's happening back home and trying to stay in communication with your mom, which sounds like you've been able to do.
5: So for the first few days, I felt, I mean, I was super scared. I was feeling uh, helpless and useless. And guilty that I'm not there you know there's since the world war ii there was the first child who died from dehydration in, in the Ukraine because they literally didn't de- the Russian soldiers didn't allow people to leave the bomb shelters they would like shoot at the like come to the door and try to shoot at the bomb shelter and uh, it's very uh painful I would say I'm sorry that that's been what you've been dealing with for
0: the past couple of weeks um can you speak a little bit more on the the work that you guys have done and like the
5: i guess if you found a sense of support and community so the interesting thing is i don't want to blame the university but university they totally refused to do any kind of public action like take any public action uh, because they said that it's gonna fuel and start the conflicts between russian and ukrainian students here And also they said they're contacting everyone from Russia and Ukraine to ensure that we are doing fine, which is complete lies. Because um, first of all, all of the Russian students here that I know, they do not support this forum. And they actually helped us to organize some of the things. Second of all, you know, they never contacted me or any of my friends. I was the one. We were the ones who were constantly emailing, writing any help that I needed, I reached out for it. But the students and the faculty are amazing because all of my professors, um, the students that I know, they were ready to help and they were ready to support. Yeah. So we are, you know, we are trying to raise money, you know, and donate them to like organizations that we know they will actually send them to Ukraine.
0: I hope that you've been able to find some support within the community and also with your professors. And I'm glad that Some of that is present. Thank you so much for speaking with us. We really do appreciate it. As we have heard, there have been collaborative efforts between Russian and Ukrainian students on grounds working to raise funds to send back to Ukraine. We spoke with Russian student Alia Feldberg to hear her thoughts on the recent events both in Ukraine and here at UVA. Hi,
6: I'm Alia Feldberg. Um, I'm a third year graduate student here in the sociology department. I'm originally from St. Petersburg, but I lived in Moscow, I guess most of my life, yeah.
0: Can you talk to us a little bit about what growing up was like there and if the the political world and if that was like a common conversation topic that you guys would engage in?
6: Um, Yeah, yeah, it definitely was. I think for me, it all started in 2010, 2011. No, I mean, it's always been a conversation in my house, obviously
0: absolutely um can you tell us a little bit about when you first heard uh, about the invasion and what that was kind of like and if you were in communication with anyone back home
6: yeah it was way before invasion yeah it was like uh, weeks before maybe even months before i remember talking to my advisor and i was like i'm so nervous about this because mm-hmm. you know there were news about tanks and the right. border for a long long time and i remember talking to people and I guess you always just want to hope for the best And people are like, no, 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 that wouldn't happen That would, like, economically ruin Russia That's too crazy And my family didn't believe it either I mean, they were worried about it And, um, you know, we would talk about it In the context of, um, me seeing them again Because I've been stuck here a little bit because of COVID My visa expired, um so we've been talking about it, and I would say, like, oh, yes, you know, if the war doesn't start, you know, we'll see each other. But I think there were some some Russian analytics that I think were smarter than others, and they predicted that, but um, I think most people could not, could not believe it.
0: What were the kind of next steps, I guess, when everything was kind of coming to fruition and when it became kind of well-known around the university like were you able to find other people that might be understanding kind of like your thought process and what might be going on
6: yeah i think the first couple of days i wasn't just in this state i couldn't believe it was real i was horrified and then of course i thought like there should be something at uva and then i saw it was some kind of email about this slavic department kind of meeting about the war. There were Ukrainian students and some Russian students and some American students, I think somehow affiliated with the uh, Slavic department. So we were working on this open letter to Jim Ryan that kind of didn't really work out. We were a little bit disappointed because of no official statement from the president um and yeah just working on like putting together the resources of how americans can help making leaflets making a qr code so people can um scan and um you know donate money or if they um for people that can't donate money that are like you can write to your representative you can share the information because you know the way our information like field of information organized <laughs> everything kind of disappears from our attention in a couple of weeks i, th- I think unfortunately and um i don't know how you feel about where you Ukraine. if you still feel like that's what people talk about in america but um, i think it's very very important to keep talking about it mm-hmm. Drawing attention to what Ukrainians are experiencing right now, people that flee the country, people that stay in the country, Um, you know, people that Ukrainians abroad. Yeah, I think that's the most important important thing right now. And I think my main method is just like not to be a bystander, you know. it is hard to be in it obviously all the time but just think that some people don't have the choice to stay out of it and if there is and you know you don't have to read the news 24 7 but there is if there is anything you can do if you have some kind of group or organization you know think of what you can do maybe you can organize a fundraiser spread the information make official statements ask your you know professors to talk about it, it just yeah that, that's that's very important i think that's that's the thing i can do as a, as, a, as a russian in in charlottesville virginia right mm-hmm. <laughs> not much i can do Well my friends are getting arrested on the streets
1: Another student we have the opportunity to hear from is Anna Sripa. She is a chemical engineering PhD student here at UVA and a native Ukrainian. She shares with us what so many view as the unthinkable and unimaginable. For her, is the reality. Uh, hi Anna, uh, would you like to tell us a little bit about yourself?
7: Hi, um, Thanks for having me here, first of all. Um, I'm glad I get the opportunity to speak about what's happening. Uh, I'm a third-year PhD student uh, at UVA in the Chemical Engineering Department, but I came to, U- to the US when I was 17 for my undergrad studies, so sort of since the 2014 when original war began in the East and Crimea was annexed, I was already here. I'm from Kyiv, so I was uh, born and raised there. Uh, my, most of my family is still there. My paternal side of the family remains there. Um, and some part of my family actually just uh, moved to, um, escaped to Europe temporarily.
1: When was the last time that you were home?
7: It was um, in August of 2021. I went to home after being here. Um, so I, th- this was the first time I went home since starting grad school. So wow. I was here for a year and a half, and I'm so glad that I was able to go in August. Yeah, I spent there three weeks. Uh, it was great. It was uh, during my mom's uh, birthday celebration. So mm-hmm. the whole family gathered, and it was great.
1: So leading up to February 24th, were you paying attention to the situation with the Russian army starting to build up military reservoirs around the Ukrainian border? And if so, how did that feel? What were you and your family's thoughts?
7: So I was aware of it in probably November of 2021. That's when it was pretty well announced here. To be honest, until the beginning of the war, I stayed pretty away from Ukrainian news. I just, you know, whatever I read here was what I knew and what my parents would tell me. But then in January, when there was a lot of discussion already in the US and it became, it just hit me all at once because a lot of even acquaintances and friends here starting to ask, Oh, how's my family? You know, where are they? Are they okay? Are they going to be okay? And that's when it just uh, that sense of anxiety was really building up. Um, And in February, I had several conversations with my parents about, Hey, guys, you know, it really looks like it might not be safe there anymore. Would you go to the south uh, to the west of Ukraine? Uh, Temporarily relocate. Just go visit, you know, something or, you know, go visit my brother is studying in Poland, and he's there right now. He's like, maybe you guys should go visit my brother. And um, they were just saying that, no, we can't leave things behind. You know, we... um, we, we," They had that sense of stress and anxiety, but then they were just planning to stay until something happens, yeah, so...
1: Do you remember the moment that you found out about the full-scale
5: invasion?
7: Oh, my God, I found out 10 minutes after the first explosion in Kiev, set up. It was just, uh, it was suggested to me in the news. I saw, so I saw an article saying that there are several explosions recorded. um, One of them being 10 minutes away from our apartment. Uh, And I immediately texted my family and uh like maybe ten minutes later my dad called me back and he said that they woke up from the explosion so they could hear them clearly and um yeah, they my dad was basically like, Yeah, it looks like the war begun. And um he said that they are packing up, getting ready, you know, whatever documentation, first uh things they need so they are prepared um to leave if they have to. And uh the next thing they just descended down to a bunker because um, you know air raid sirens were on and um, they they went there. Um, yeah and then I just from that point on you know I'm, I'm grown to my phone and I constantly check the news so yeah I, I learned about it 10 minutes after the first news article.
1: Wow. And how's your family now? How are they doing?
7: Um, They are as Okay is someone can be during the war. thank God they have um, housing they have uh, heat, electricity um, they have internet. we stay in touch and you know, I get the good morning and good night. I always know that my family is um, alive and are they're okay but this being the thirty fifth day of war, I can just really see the shift in their mental state. it is extremely exhausting and constantly being the stress and if at first there was a lot of you know positive outlook and euphoria because um we didn't fall down in three days as so many people predicted and our army is doing still doing well and with such a huge support from the rest of the world um you know we were we're clearly not losing the war that now, after being such a long time, um, it clearly is just really wearing down on their mental state and just sometimes just painful to hear them, you know, describe how they feel. And yeah, it's, it's very disheartening. I, I never thought this would happen to my family. My dad did volunteer the second day of war and with him, thank God, I also have constant communication. He texts us that everything's fine, that they're getting humanitarian aid, that they're getting Guns, you know, equipment, gear, if he, the first week he volunteered, he didn't have a helmet. All he had was the, what do you call, the armored plate and the gun and 90 rounds of ammo, and that's all he was given. So we were extremely worried that not being so unequipped for war, he was doing it. And thank God now, you know, they have everything they need. So. But when we spoke to Stephen Knoll, he had said that we have a total of seven Ukrainian
0: students here at UVA. Were you aware of that number? Did you know anyone else that might be experiencing, like might be able to understand kind of like the situation that you were in, and were you able to find those people to connect with and
7: find that support system within? I did not know any Ukrainians before this started at UVA, and so far I met two people. Has the overall UVA
0: community been um, receptive and understanding to the circumstances
7: that you're in? I have, when we were drafting a paper, I sent out uh, an email to everyone in the department um, uh, from the faculty, sort of letting know about the paper, the letter, letting know the resources, um, where if they want to, they can help Ukraine and donate. And um, yeah, and just sort of also, you know, describe that uh, my family is directly affected. And it was great to hear from. I think I got back five people or six people responded to me. So I'm thankful to those who showed me support. My advisor, my group, uh, my friends, my boyfriend. That I have a community here that's supporting me.
1: Uh, when we spoke earlier, you mentioned that you went to the teach-in. I was wondering if you'd want to share your thoughts on how the teach-in went, if there's anything that struck you.
7: Yes. Um, unfortunately, the teach-in was very... Disappointing, as it was advertised to me, I thought it was going to give people the context, sort of the why this war happened and what led to it. And what was really missing from that entire conversation um, was that for several centuries now, Russia has been methodically, you know, um, destroying the language, the culture, and prosecuting, killing people who were using it and spreading language or culture. And another thing that I really had issue at the teaching was that one of these professors spent good two or three minutes talking about how after Imperial Russia, which prosecuted Ukrainians and Ukrainian-speaking uh, people, you know, destroyed the Ukrainian literature, but when Bolsheviks came in, they decided to do something different and promote the culture. And that is also so, so wrong, because what was emphasized there is that Bolsheviks promoted the language. However. How come at a teaching about Ukraine-Russia war you make such a big emphasis at Bolsheviks promoting uh, Ukrainian culture for a couple of years, when what follows is a full destruction of the Ukrainian elite and then regular people, followed by repopulation of Ukrainian territories by Russians? Yeah, but this is not the first genocide that's been inflicted on us by Russia, so I think it was very important to mention that in the teaching, however, somehow... Um, different points were emphasized and i think that's absolutely inappropriate in this situation the vigil was two days after the teaching i was just really afraid again to put myself in a situation where other people unconnected to it will sort of i will hear these conversations in the background about oh did you hear you know they killed this many people and they blew up this and they blew up that in ukraine i just that was what was best for me to stay away from it you know sort of help myself to get through it. It is great that it was organized. I am very thankful to all the communities there. You know, uh, be, be aware of what you say about Ukrainians. Like I personally sometimes get very offended when I hear people complaining about gas. Like I just, I would rather not hear those complaints. I have some other issues happening in my life and these type of problems are just not something I can sympathize with. Well, thank you for coming on and yeah. speaking
0: with thank us. Thank you. Today. Thank you, Grace. Anna, Alia, Vivara, and Lisa talked to us about realities that most of our university community can hardly imagine. We want to thank them again for speaking with us.
1: Thanks for tuning in. This has been On Record. This episode of On Record was written and hosted by Ariana Aronson
0: and South Wallace. It was produced by Grace Fluharty.
1: Our editors are Ariana Aronson and Grace Fluarty.